This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Today I have a lesson on the real presence of our blessed Lord in the Eucharist by Father John A. Hardin, a priest who tirelessly taught the faith well into his retirement years and was reputed to be something of an exorcist himself. He saw even in the 1990s the lack of belief in the real presence and sought to correct errors through teaching. The lesson I have for you today is his teaching on the real presence, and he reminds us that what we adore in the Eucharist is truly Jesus Christ himself, true God and true man. If the Eucharist is truly God, then we must be wary of our own disposition before we approach the most blessed sacrament of the altar. Now, Father Hardin on the real presence in his own words. Christ, God's Gift Through Mary by Father John A. Hardin The greatest gift God has given us is the gift of himself in the Incarnation. The narrative which describes this gift in detail is the account of the Annunciation in St. Luke's Gospel. Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And when the angel had come to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she had heard him, she was troubled at his word. And the angel said to her, Be not afraid, Mary, for thou have found grace with God. Behold, thou shalt bring forth a son, and, a, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. And he shall be king over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, since I know not man? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, and the Holy One born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to thy word. This mystery is a description of the Incarnation, and from another viewpoint, the Annunciation, which was the origin of the church founded by Christ. God chose Mary because of her humility. Everything about the Annunciation depicts Mary as a humble person who was troubled by the angel's extraordinary praise. Proud persons like to be praised, but they never get enough. Mary was far from being proud. She had vowed herself to purity, and she inquired, How can this be so, when told she was to be the mother of the one who was to come, even though she was still vowed to purity? Though she did not understand, she accepted because she believed in God's omnipotence. Be it done unto me. The essence of humility is allowing God to do to us what he wants to do, offering no resistance. What are we to make of this? God cons consistently favors humble people for his greatest tasks. So if you want to do great things, be humble. A humble person is one who is little in his own eyes. Greatness and humility are never incompatible. The genius of humility is to give God all the credit for whatever virtue, intelligence, or ability a person may have. Humility is the only lesson we all need to learn. The essence of the first deadly sin is not in possessing much, because little people can often be proud. Little people with much power are near the heart of the mess in the modern world. The first deadly sin is giving cr credit to oneself for what is a gift of God. God's grace goes to the humble and is withdrawn from the proud. Scripture tells us so. This is awfully true. Think of standing before God in judgment. Unless we are humble, we will not be saved. True greatness never makes the mistake of thinking that what I have is mine. God seems ruthless when he deals with, with, with the first deadly sin because he wants us to live the truth. God is indeed lavish with his blessings and prodigal with his gifts. Just watch the millions upon millions of leaves falling from the trees in autumn, a symbol of divine prodigality. But 
This same God insists that no one foolishly, which means dishonestly, talk or act as though they were possessed what was really their own. Most of us are sober enough to not to verbally say, all I have is my own. It is our behavior, acting as though it is our own, because truth is mainly expressed not in words, but in deeds, just as the worst lies are not told in sentences, but in the way we act. Mary was the most gifted person God ever made. She had the fullness of grace, and with this plenitude, she had everything else that God could give her. She never for a moment doubted that what she had was not hers by right, but given her as a gift from God. The more we have been blessed by him, the humbler we should be. God wants us aware that he is the owner of the graces and gifts that he gives us, and he wishes them used according to his will, including our wills, which too are his. If we reflect on Mary's privileges, especially on the Annunciation, we are struck by a very wonderful thing. In becoming man, where did God start? Let us understand the divine logic there. It can change our lives. God started with one single person, a sinless, pure young girl in her middle teens when most girls from her area, area engage in the nuptial sacrament. When about to redeem the human race, he started with a simple, humble, sinless person. Why should we strive to overcome our faults, our sinful tendencies, our impatience, and our passions? There is one very important reason. We are to become more sinless so that God may use us more effectively as channels of his grace. Mary's sinlessness was in God's redemptive providence. He uses innocent people to be instruments of his grace. The more sinless we are, the more God will miraculously use our innocence to carry his merciful love. There are no tricks here, and no one can cheat God. All the paraphernalia of the apostolate notwithstanding, we shall be precisely as effective in the supernatural order as we are holy. Holy Mary, help us to see the wisdom in your sons choosing the, the humble to be bearers of his love to sinful mankind. May we be more obedient and sim simple in our responses to God's will, so that like you, we may bring Jesus to a world that so badly needs a Savior. The Holy Eucharist, from the Marian Catechist Manual, by Father John A. Harden. The center of a spiritual life is a deep faith in the Eucharist as the sacrifice of the Mass, Holy Communion, and the Real Presence. At the center of this faith is the realization that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became the Son of Mary to be with us on earth as he promised, until the end of time. One must develop this Eucharistic faith if they hope to become apt instruments in the hands of God for the salvation and sanctification of others. One should grow in their understanding of what the Vicar of Christ, then Pope John Paul II, means what he says when that there is only one sacrament of the Eucharist, and yet this sacrament confers grace in three different ways. Each manner of divine grace corresponds to the three forms in which the Eucharist has been instituted by Christ. It is at one and the same time a sacrifice sacrament, a communion sacrament, and a presence sacrament. The revealed foundation for this conclusion is the fact of Christ's abiding presence in the Eucharist. It is the Redeemer of man who, by his passion and death on the cross, merited the grace of our salvation. But it is mainly through the Eucharist that the same Jesus Christ now channels this grace to a sinful human race. It is in this comprehensive sense that we can say the Church lives by the Eucharist, by the fullness of the sacrament. This fullness, however, spans all three levels of its sacramental existence, whereby sacrament, the Church means a sensible sign, instituted by Christ through which invisible grace and inward sanctification are communicated to the soul. The Mass is the sacrifice sacrament of the Eucharist. As the Council of Trent declared, the sacrifice of the Mass is not only an offering of praise and thanksgiving, it is also a source of grace. By this ob oblation, the Lord is appeased. He, he, he grants grace and the gift of repentance. 
company pardons, wrongdoings, and sins. The blessings of redemption which Christ won for us by his bloody death on Calvary are now received in abundance through this unbloody oblation. Holy Communion is the communion sacrament of the Eucharist. The same Council of Trent defined, Christ's presence in the Eucharist is not only spiritually eaten, but also really and sacramentally. We actually receive his body and blood. We are truly nourished by his grace. It was Christ's will that this sacrament be received as the sole spiritual food, to sustain and build up those who live with his life. It is also to be a redress to free us from our daily defects and to keep us from mortal sin. The real presence is the presence sacrament of the Eucharist. How? The real presence is a sacrament in every way that, human that the humanity of Christ is a channel of grace to those who believe that the Son of God became man for our salvation. The underlying theme of the Church's Eucharistic teaching is the fact of Christ's consoling presence in the Blessed Sacrament. His real presence is the fullest sense, the substantial presence by which the whole and complete Christ, God, and man is present. Once this fact of faith is recognized, it is not difficult to see what why prayer before the Blessed Sacrament is so efficacious. Indeed, it explains why, without a second thought, Catholics have simply referred to the real presence as the Blessed Sacrament. It is a sacrament, or better, it is the one sacrament which not only confers grace, but contains the very source of grace, namely, Jesus Christ. As we read the Gospels, we are struck by the marvelous power that Christ's humanity had in effecting changes in the persons who came in contact with him. Already in the womb of his mother, he sanctified the unborn John the Baptist the moment Elizabeth heard the voice of Mary. At Cana in Galilee, at his mother's request, Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the steward tasted the water, it had turned into wine. Jesus spoke with human lips when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, when he taught the parables, when he forgave sinners, when he rebuked the Pharisees, when he, told, when he foretold his passion and told his followers to carry the cross. Jesus touched the blind with human hands. And, and, restored the, and restored the inflicted way of speaking with a human voice. On one occasion, a, an inflicted person touched the hem of his garment. The woman was instantly healed. Immediately, relates St. Mark, aware that the power had gone out from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my cloak? Significantly, Jesus told her, Your faith has restored you. All through his public ministry, the humanity of Christ was the means by which he enlightened the minds of his listeners, restored their souls to divine friendship and he assured them of God's lasting peace. That is what St. John meant when, in the prologue of his gospel, he said, Though the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ is the only begotten Son of God who became flesh, and not only lived, but in the Eucharist, continues to live among us. In order to draw on these resources of infinite wisdom and power available in the Eucharist, we must believe. In the words of the Adore Te, we can say, I believe everything that the Son of God has said, and nothing can be truer than this word of the truth. Only the Godhead was hidden on the cross. But here the humanity is hidden as well, yet I believe and acknowledge them both. Those who can thus speak to Christ in the Eucharist will learn from experience what the Church means when she tells us, the real presence is a sacrament. It is the same Savior who assumed our human nature to die for us on Calvary and who now dispenses through that same humanity, now glorified, the blessing of salvation. Can it be more clear? Father Hardin reminds us that our Lord is not distant, that he is right here in the sacrament of the altar, in every tabernacle of every parish in the world, and he awaits us to approach him, to come into real union with him if we are of the proper disposition. So please, on this Sunday, I hope that you found this helpful on your way to or from the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and that the miracle of the altar and the cornerstone of our faith is on your mind in some degree for the rest of the Sunday. Given the lack of belief in the real presence, please pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.